morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten speaking to you from Ottawa, Canada. Each and every week I have the pleasure of uh, chatting with a guest about the weekly Torah portion. This week, Jews throughout the world are in fact reading two Torah portions, one entitled Achare Mot and the other Kedoshim. I want to spend a moment with you, the listeners, reminding you of why we sometimes have a double Torah portion to read. Um, there are a number of reasons why Parashiot Torah portions are doubled up. Some reasons specifically apply to certain pairings. The basic issue is that although we split the Torah portion into the Torah into 54 portions, or in Hebrew parashiot, a regular Jewish year, which is a solar lunar year, has 353 to 355 days. That leaves us with only 50 to 51 Shabbatot on which to read the Torah portion. Additionally, when a Jewish holiday coincides with Shabbat, we read the special holiday Torah portion instead of the weekly Torah portion. That leaves us usually with a maximum of 48 weeks in a regular year in which to read 54 Torah portions. In order to reconcile the weekly cycle of parashiot with the number of Shabbatot available, we need to double up some of the Porshot. In addition, in a Jewish leap year, when we add an extra month consisting of 30 days, which includes four more Shabbatot, or five, depending on the day of the week the new moon starts, um, we have a lot fewer Torah portions. During the normative Jewish year, when it is not a leap year with an extra month, we have the following couplets by Yikahel the Pikudei, Tazria Mitsora, Achare Kedoshim, and Bahara Bechukotai. And this week we're talking about Achare Mot Vikedoshim. They are found beginning in Leviticus 16.1 and concluding in Leviticus 20.27. Let me give you an overview of the two Torah portions, and then my guest and I are going to unpack the second of the Torah portions, Kedoshin. Following the episode in which Nadav and Avihu, Aaron's uh, sons, die, God warns against unauthorized entry into the Holy of Holies. Only one person, the Kohen Gadol, the high priest may but once a year on Yom Kippur enter the inmost chamber of the sanctuary to offer the sacred ketoret to God. Another feature of the Day of Atonement service, as enunciated in the Torah portion, is the casting of lots over two goats to determine which should be offered to God and which should be dispatched to carry off the sins of Israel into the wilderness. The parasha of Ahare, but also known as Ahare Mot, also warns against bringing korbanot, animal or meal offerings, anywhere but in the holy temple, forbids the consumption of blood, and details the laws uh, prohibiting um, 
inappropriate sexual relations as defined by the Torah. The second parasha, the parasha of Kedoshim, begins with the statement, Atem tihiyu Kedoshim, you shall be holy, for I, your God, am holy. This is followed by a litany of commandments through which the Jew sanctifies him or herself and relates to the holiness of God. It is a long list of mitzvot, some of which are ritual, some of which are ethical, some, in fact, um, are civil litigation laws. In addition, the parasha Kedoshim um, concludes with one of the cardinal principles of Torah, and of which the Rabbi Hillel said, um, this is the entire Torah, the rest is commentary, and it is the Ahavta Larecha Kamocha, love your, and we can then discuss what um, that noun is, as yourself, love your neighbor, love the individual. Um, and with me this morning to unpack Parashat Kedoshim, is one of the most well-known rabbis throughout Canada and perhaps throughout North America. Rabbi Elise Goldstein is now the spiritual leader of the City Shul in Toronto. But before uh, becoming the founding rabbi of the City Shul, she served at Temple Beth Or of the Deaf, in which she, at which time she became proficient in sign language and specialized in serving the Jewish deaf. After ordination, she served as assistant rabbi at Holy Blossom Temple in Toronto. From, uh, for five years, she served as rabbi of Temple Beth David in Canton, Massachusetts, at which time the congregation tripled in size. But perhaps Rabbi Goldstein is best known as an outstanding educator. She founded Kolel, the Adult Center for Liberal Jewish Learning, and served as its director and principal teacher for 20 years. Kolel was recognized worldwide as a leading institution in the field of Jewish adult study, and in 2005, she was awarded North America's highest honor for Jewish education, the Covenant Award for Outstanding Educator. In addition, she was awarded an honorary doctorate by what was then called Ryerson University in Toronto for her exemplary work as a rabbi, spiritual leader, and social activist in Canada. It's a great pleasure to invite Rabbi, welcome Elise Goldstein, Rabbi of the City Shul to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Thank you. Glad to Good morning. Be here again. Good morning and glad to be here again. Parashat Kedoshim is well known to many, uh, certainly in um, Reform synagogues. It's often read on Yom Kippur. Um, but for our listeners who may not be as well versed, let's begin by you helping them understand what does the word Kedoshim mean and what are the many implications of it? So it's a very interesting word. And by the way, the word in English, holy or sacred or sanctified, also gives us pause, right? Because people identify holy and sacred things with, let's say, icons or material things. But in Judaism, what's most interesting is a time is holy, not place, but time itself. We had one holy place, the temple in Jerusalem. We don't have it anymore. And that's why Jews can really pray anywhere. Um, 
So, so we have to talk about sanctifying time. But the word kadosh itself and its Hebrew etymology is really interesting in that it means sanctified and holy, but it also means separate. As in the wedding ceremony, when the rings are exchanged between the two partners, one will say to the other, I'll just use the language of a man to a, a woman for now, Behold, you are sanctified to me with this ring. What does that mean, you are sanctified to me? This person doesn't change holiness status. They're not any more holy now that they're married. This person is set apart, if you will, from other people. And in fact, this um, Hebrew root of three letters, kuf, dalad, shin, which we would pronounce as kodesh, um, is used often in uh, Jewish liturgical life. We sanctify the Sabbath. God sanctifies us. Um, this day or this this moment is sanctified, or water is sanctified for use in purification rituals, or a sacrificial animal is sanctified. Look, the other it's, when I mean set apart, you know, the Talmud uses the word hekdesh for <coughs> when you have something. Let's say you have something in your house, uh, and you say, you know what, I want to give those clothes to charity. Okay, you look in your closet, you have a beautiful fur coat, you want to give it away to charity. That coat becomes hectic. It becomes sanctified. You cannot then change your mind. You cannot say, oh, you know, I really want to give that coat to my granddaughter. You sanctified that coat for a charitable purpose. You must give that coat to charity. Otherwise, the coat is sort of um, uh, impure. And you can't just you can't just say, oh, I know I sanctified it. But you know, now I changed my mind. I want to keep it. So that's the other root of the word kadosh, hekdesh, is something that is set aside for a specific purpose. Now, you know, in today's um, secular society, that's a very, you know, it's a very odd thing to say, I can't change my mind just because I said that something is holy. I can't change my mind. No, the the truth of the matter is once you sanctify it, you cannot. Um, Look, I also want to say that the beginning of the Parsha is one of the most difficult commandments um, in the whole Torah. Everything else is easy. I'll keep Sabbath, you know, keep kosher. It might not be convenient. We might not, you know, want to do it, but it's clear. So better, better than easy, it's precise to understand it. Yes. When the Torah says that you shall not work, the later rabbis um, spent a great deal of time um, making specific what work is and what work is not. Um, and so we know, as you've said, it's perhaps inconvenient, but it's clear to us how we would affirm the commandment. Yeah. But as you've said, and our listeners might remember, the first commandment, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Well, how does one do that? How do we, first of all, how do we even know what the, what that means, right? The, the Torah doesn't say you shall be holy by doing the following three things, right? Right, and it, it by the way it doesn't even say you shall be holy by behaving in the following three ways. There's an admonition and an expectation that we understand what it means to be holy, but the parsha doesn't define for us uh, what holiness is now. And I'm gonna, I'll get into that in a minute, but I want to also remind the listeners that the entire people of Israel are addressed. Kedoshim, Tihiyu, 
You, it doesn't say men shall be holy. It doesn't say priests shall be holy. And that's really important because, you know, in the book of Leviticus, it would be very easy to say this portion is just about the priests. But the whole people, Kol Adat B'nai Yisrael, are addressed in this parsha. Not just Levites, not just men, commanded of everyone. It's not the only time. While the Torah can often be exclusionary, right, and speak to um, the priests who are defined by genetics, or it can speak to um, certain categories of tribal leaders. In the most important parts, one would say that the Torah is very inclusive at Sinai, not just those of you who stand here, men, women, children, slaves, those who are strangers, but all who are coming after you. And here, too, it seems to be at the um, most significant moments of commandment, very inclusive. Yes. So I want to say that while the commandment itself, you shall be holy, feels to be imprecise, and I like your use of the word precise, <clears throat> it indeed <clears throat> is not, because it now is going to say to us, um, who should be holy? Okay, we've answered that question, everybody. When are we to be holy? Well, again, the verse tells us, kedoshim tihiyu. Even though it's in the command form, it's also in the future form. So it's not just today that you need to be holy. It's a, it's a lifetime, a lifetime of striving and a lifetime of, of studying and, and, and achieving. Um, and then he tells us why. Why should we be holy? Because God is holy. Because that's our, that's our goal is to be godly. So it does tell us who should be holy, when should we be holy, and why should we be holy. It just doesn't tell us all the hows. And in, and in this introductory sentence, it also takes for granted that the Israelites and their descendants will accept the notion of God, the deity, being holy. And as you mentioned to our listeners, holiness means separate. Mm. So one could extrapolate from what you've said that this deity, God, is holy because God is unlike any other deity and unlike any human and that's the sanctity that accrues uh, to the deity a separate category and while it's hard for us to say there's something holy about being separate it makes us feel exclusionary it makes us feel old-fashioned um there is something to be said about separating oneself let's say even one day a week, Shabbat, from the secular, okay? And in that, how does that day become holy? In that we have separated ourselves from our normal activities uh, to, do, to do sanctified activities. And so it's not, I don't think, a, a, possi- a, 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 a problem for us to say, we're not, the Torah is not asking us to be separate all the time. It's asking us to to see the world in separate categories. There are some things that are sanctified and there are some things that are not. So um, some of our listeners might be familiar with um, other traditions in which separating yourself from society is considered the most holy. So those who live in convents 
or yeah. those who live in um, temples of the Eastern traditions and who separate themselves from society to indicate their holiness. Yeah. But this Torah portion doesn't seem to suggest that. It, uh, I, I'm wondering if you could clarify that for the listeners. It doesn't, how does it differ in its expectation of holiness from other traditions which seem to say you shall have nothing to do with outside world civil society yeah others and that's a great question i'm actually going to answer that question in two ways the first way is i'm going to give you a traditional commentary on our portion uh the commentary the commentary is by rabbi moshe alshech on this line you shall be holy because i am holy and alshech noticed that kadoshim to you is in the plural you shall be holy and he asks a very important question it's really the question you're asking i'm just going to read it he says, why are such important rules as the ones which follow upon this verse not taught person by person, individual by individual? Why is it taught to one large assembly? He answers that God instructed Moses to call all the people together when giving them the commandment to be holy in order that it would be clear that holiness is not something achievable by only a few. People should not claim that high standards of morality and ethics are only for the pious, only for the special, only for the elite. They are not. So that's the first thing. The first thing is the command is given in the plural to keep us from saying, oh, that's for special people. You know, that's not for me. I'm just an average Joe. Okay. And I guess the implication is that all of us can reach that level. Yeah. There's no, well, that's Alshik's point, you know, that. Right. That, don't if it if the Torah had said to Moses, "You Moses shall be holy," we would have all said, "I'm not. I can't be Moses. You know why should I even strive?" So that's the first the first thing I want to answer your question with. And the second is, why does it say kadoshim in the plural and not in the singular? Because Judaism is a communal religion. Now that may make it hard for introverts, <laughs> and that may make it hard. For, you know, people who've just had two satyrs with like big families, you know, um, Judaism is a religion of community. Look, we need 10 people to make a quorum, to make a minion. We don't pray without a community. And so the commandment to be holy is given in the plural to hone home to us how much we need the community in order to be holy, how much we cannot do it on our own. That being in community and here I can say this as a congregational rabbi, right? Being a member of an organized community um, is, is a pathway, is a really important pathway into holiness. We can say, yeah, I'm just going to go sit on a mountaintop and meditate. But in Judaism, that's narcissistic. It's not communally, it doesn't change the world, right? Um, what changes the world is when we gather in community and say, my little striving for holiness plus your little striving for holiness, plus theirs and theirs and theirs, that makes it different. That's why it's such a hard mitzvah, right? Because it's a mitzvah given in the plural. Um, and we need to figure out a way to do it in community. So the, we're not saying that other traditions are less holy. Uh, we're suggesting that the Torah, our sacred foundational text, has a different understanding 
of the nature of holiness. And that separateness, although it seems counterintuitive, separateness does uh, take place best, is actualized most powerfully in community, because in that way, both the individual and the community are changed. And hopefully, um, the society they live in, as opposed to using the standard image of sitting on a mountain right. and hoping that you find sanctity in the mountain, it may change you, but nothing else. Look, and I think that image makes it hard for us modern people to think about what it means to be holy, because we have these, I think, negative images when when we use the word holy, I mean, you and I are clergy, like we use this word regularly, right? But if you use the word holy, you know, that was a holy moment or, you know, that experience was really sacred. People are going to be taken aback and they're going to say, oh, you're so religious, right? Because they right. have this image that holiness equals piety or that holiness equals religiosity. And I think it's really important that this Parsha says you should be holy, but it doesn't say the way to be holy is to keep kosher, to keep Sabbath, to build a sukkah. It it says that in other places in the Torah, but this Parsha speaks in a more spiritual tone. Can you give us an example of that spiritual tone? Because it does speak in the language of mitzvot. It does um, speak in the language of commandments. Um, as we, as I indicated at the beginning, we have all these rules about honesty and business and uh, the mitzvah of charity um, and, um, you know, honor and awe of one's parents, which we don't usually assign to the category of holiness. But the Torah seems to think that these behaviors are the bridge to holiness. Is there one in particular that you resonate with most strongly? You know, it's really interesting. Like, do we see the commandments as relationship formers, you know, or do we see them as obligations? So I like to analogize it to being in a relationship with another human being. Um, you don't have to send them a birthday card, but if you do, it reminds them that you're in relationship, right? You don't have to bring someone flowers on Valentine's Day, but if you do, it reminds them that they're thought of, right? So you'll, you know, many people would say from a non-Orthodox perspective, you cannot put on tefillin and still live a long and happy life, okay? You don't have to. But when you do, it reminds you that you are in relationship with God. So when I light Sabbath candles, it reminds me, it's my chocolates and flowers, if you will, right? It reminds me that I'm in relationship with God. And so, look, for me, lighting Sabbath candles is very, very meaningful. Um, my mother did it and, and, you know, I do it and my kids do it and it's a way of bonding with family. But at that moment, which I think is a sacred moment, I'm reminded that, that the act I'm about to do or the act I've just done is an act which puts me in relationship with God. And, and I suppose relationship is a better word 
English word for covenant than uh, contract. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely agree. Right? That, that often people um, think of the covenant between Abraham and Abraham's descendants and the God of Torah as a contract. I will do this if you do that. And of course, there is some of that language in the Torah. But throughout the books of the Torah and then the later rabbis, it seems, as you've suggested, that this is all about building a personal and communal relationship um, with um, the deity, however we understand it. And of course, the Hebrew is so varied with right. so many different names for the deity. Right. Um, so let's end as the Torah portion does with via hafta l'recha kamocha. How do you usually translate uh, ra'echa for your uh, learners, for those you study with? Um, so it means literally means friend, right? Now, different rabbis argue about whether it means only a Jewish person, whether it means any person that you meet, but I like to translate it as anyone who could potentially be your friend, which is anybody. Right. So when we're open hearted, anybody can be our next door neighbor. Um, and you should uh, do unto them as you would want them to do unto you. Uh, and it's a beautiful ending because how can we achieve holiness in our lives? Right. If we can only achieve holiness in our relationships with other people, then we have to start with the people next door, people we meet on the street, people we're driving behind. Right. If we love them the way we love ourselves then we, we have started to live a holy life. It begins and ends with relationships. It begins with the relationship that you shall have with God. As yeah. God is holy, you want to emulate that holiness. And through that um, emulation, you affirm your relationship. And then... It bookends at the ending, not with relationship to deity, but relationship with those around us. Very much so. Which goes to very much to the heart of what you were speaking about in terms of Judaism being a unknown caller communal, uh, a communal religion, a religion of community. Yeah. My guest this morning has been Rabbi Elise Goldstein, now founding rabbi of the City Shul in Toronto, Ontario. Um, I want to thank her for sharing her wisdom with us. You can listen to our conversation at CRCHRI 99.1 FM, or you can listen to it as a podcast on CHRI.ca or wherever you download your favorite podcasts on iTunes or other sources. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten, wishing you shalom and have a good day. Thank you.